yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Bua, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And I am joined, of course, by Justin Russo, aka Fly By Night, to discuss... I don't even know where to start with this, but the, the Clippers lost Game 7, uh, what, 104-89... Uh, they completed the collapse, the blown 3-1 series lead. Um, this is just stunning. This is shocking. And, and I, I know there was a lot of pessimism going into this game. And, and so, you know, some people might not feel that way. But um, I, I, st- I really thought there was no way they were going to blow this series um, after Game 5, after Game 6, even during Game 7. And um, it happened. Uh, so, Justin, welcome. How are you uh what are your opening thoughts on, on all of this? My opening thought is I'm really glad I took an edible at halftime because buddy, it made everything totally fine. I mean, look, I mean, what, what do people want me to say? They got absolutely hammered in the second half of a basketball game for the third straight game, doing the same thing they did the previous two. I, I just, at this point, I feel like I'm just talking in circles. I could just repeat the same things that they did in game five and game six, and it would still apply for game seven. I'm just bored of talking about it, though. I'm just, they knew what they didn't have to do. They knew what not to do, and they still did it. They still made the same decisions. They still had the same shot selection. They still had the same boneheaded defensive mistakes. It didn't matter. It did not. They could have played any team in the NBA tonight, and if it was a two-point game at halftime, which it shouldn't have been, it should have been, it should have been a larger lead. And I guess we'll get into that soon. They could have played any team in the NBA tonight, and it could have been a two-point game at halftime. Yovan, I would have not picked them to win that game. I don't care if they were playing like whatever you think the worst team in the NBA is right now. Well, you should hell the worst team in the NBA right now is the Clippers because they did this three games in a row. <laughs> It's, I just, I'm at a loss for words. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll say this much. We are now a little over an hour, hour and a half post game. I've not written anything. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know the gist of what I'm going to write, but I'm still kind of processing things. Uh, it's just. Can I say something? Yeah, no. I don't want to hear them make excuses about we were tired. Oh, we were tired. I don't care. I'm sorry. I understand. This is tough circumstances. You're in a bubble. You know, your family's not with you all the time. All these things are going on. We're in a pandemic. I get it. I 100% get it. I sympathize. Guys came in dealing with tragedy or or other things or had COVID. I get it. I 100% get it. The team on the other end of the court from you played a seven-game first-round series. And they were dog tired. You saw they were dog tired in game one. You whipped their tail for the better part of two and a half quarters in game three. You whipped their tail for the better part of two quarters, two and a half quarters in game, uh, I'm sorry, game three, in game five. You did it also in game six. And you looked good for about a quarter and, well, hell, I'll say 20 minutes. You looked great for 20 minutes. I'm sorry, did fatigue only hit you? They looked tired too. I don't want to hear it. It, it, 
yeah, it might be a valid excuse in some capacity. I don't care. And it's such a cheap thing to go to just because it's the truth doesn't make it easily, easily palatable. No one wants to hear it. You got your ass handed to you again in the second half. You scored 33 points. You had like four or six points in the fourth quarter until the final two minutes. Like, what are we doing? You know, you were 13 of 45 in the second half, three of 17 from three. You you missed an absurd amount of open threes. And mm-hmm. I get it. Maybe fatigue plays a factor. Was fatigue a factor in the previous two games? Because it sure didn't seem like it in post-game comments from the, those two games. Like, just own it. Own the fact that you that you got your brains beat in. The other team played harder than you when it mattered most. And they killed you. And now you have to fly all the way home and sit there next to each other, staring at each other, wondering what the hell just happened. Well, what the hell just happened is you, you got annihilated. You talked all year about how we were going to do such great things. And you didn't do anything different than any other Clippers team who came before you. So just own it. I mean, we might as well stop the podcast there. Um, you know, I, I will say, I, I thought, so I, I wrote going into game seven, a, a story with, with three keys. And, and my three keys were more minutes for the key players, particularly Kawhi and PG, uh, the, the rest of the starters, and some of the key bench guys, really the, the top six or seven guys in the series who we know who they were, the, the starters plus Jermichael and and maybe Lou, um, I thought someone stepping up offensively, which it looked like for four or five minutes, it was going to be Marcus Morris. He was great uh, to Pat, start. He, he was. Uh, Pat Beverly had, had a couple nice offensive stretches, finished with 11. I think he was their best clipper. Um, you, you're probably right. Uh, Trez and Lou had a nice opening stretch to that, uh, You know, kind of closing the first, beginning of the second offensively. Key here is, is offensively. Um, but... I mean, to, to, you know, and then the third thing for me was, was the pace. And I, I stated, if you, if you read the end of the story, uh, you know, the last two sentences are, if the pace of this game is between 90 to 95 possessions, I think it's going to favor Denver. If it's 95 to 100 possessions, it's going to favor the Clippers. The pace of this game, the, the final pace was 91.9. So it was in that 90 to 95 zone, at, you know, closer to 90 than 95. And... I'm not going to put it all on that, of course, but I just felt Denver dictated the pace. They, they controlled the second halves in three consecutive games. And, and really, like, the, the, you know, thinking back on it, this third quarter thing had been an issue for the Clippers dating back to before COVID. Like, you know, how yeah. many times did we see this team blow a lead in the third quarter um, or, or just, you know, have a close game and then get blown out in the third? I mean, this has been something that's, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, um, you know, I, I think – some of it has been the reliance on the bench and, and Lou and Trez and, um, you know, how many games did, did Trez play the last 16, 18 minutes and the Clippers were just getting hammered defensively. Um, but I will say, like, you know, looking at some of these numbers and Clippers shot 37.8%, 25.7% on threes. So th- that's just abysmal. But you look at some of the key factors here, 10 turnovers compared with 20 from the Nuggets, 16 yeah. free throw attempts compared with 16 from the Nuggets. Uh, you did get hammered on the glass, even though you had more offensive rebounds. Uh, but, you know, there were a lot of Clipper misses. Uh, 21 assists for the Clippers uh, on 34 makes compared to 22 for the Nuggets on 38 makes. So, like, a lot of the statistical markers were actually pretty close. Like, 
you know, the, the final score is a little wonky. I mean, Nuggets made four more threes, three more free throws, and that right there is the difference. But the Clippers had their, you know, their, their chances. And at the end of the day, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined 24 points on 10 of 38 shooting, four of 18 on threes. And they played the minutes I was talking about. They played 82 combined minutes. Uh, I believe that's their high of the postseason. Kawhi played 44 of the 48 minutes, was a minus 21. Uh, you know, the Clippers were minus 21 with Kawhi on the floor and a minus 20 with PG on the floor. And, you know, it, it just, for as bad as they played, they still had so many opportunities in the second half. And, and that's kind of the just the insane part about this was, you know, you, you were kind of like, okay, you know, it's eight points, it's nine points, it's 10 points. Like, when are they going to make the run? What When are they going to have the Clippers run that kind of ties this game or, or makes it a game going down the stretch? And it, it just never happened. And you look at their scoring, uh, you know, 24-24 after the first quarter, 32-30 to in the second quarter, uh, and then Denver, 28-18 in the third, 22-15 to uh, 15 in the fourth, and the Clippers barely got to 15. Didn't even crack 90 points tonight. So, I mean, I don't want to be reductive. I think there are a bunch of things. Like you said, the failure to adjust. Montrez Harrell playing 26 minutes. Was, you know, Clippers were minus eight with him on the floor. Did score 20 points, including a couple in, in garbage time, um, but was just a disaster defensively as he's been all, all series. Played 26 points, hit his series high, grabbed three rebounds, didn't have a block or a steal. Uh, Montrez, I mean, uh, Lou Williams, 25 minutes, three of 11 shooting. That was, the, I mean, how many layups did Lou miss in this game? At least four or five. Uh, you know, did have six assists, but it, it was just, and then Avita Zubats only played 14 minutes and, and you know, in, in three fouls. And he was kind of the, the odd guy out when how many times have we talked about how important Zoo is defensively? And he got in foul trouble early, but I was surprised Doc pulled him because I was just like, it's game seven. Like, it, 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 you know, sure, maybe you pull him to, to start the, the uh, I mean, uh, at the end of the first half, but like, in the second half, I was really surprised they went away from him and went with Trez. And, um, you know, I think maybe that's where we take this now is like, I don't want to put all of this. I don't think it's as simple as Trez cost them the series, but that was obviously a huge factor. That was something Clippers Twitter was talking about this entire time. And, you know, again, 20 points minus eight. Like, I, I think that shows um, even in his best offensive game, Trez was a, a minus for the Clippers. It honestly might just come down to the fact that Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Morris Sr., and Lou Williams took 58 shots and only scored 38 points. And Jamal Murray scored 40 by himself. That really might just be the game. And the other part of it is they just could not get... And by they, I, I'm just going to say they. It's not just one person. Like, one person didn't lose this series. No. Decisions made by people lost this series long before, in my opinion, Game 7 even came around. Um, you know, you look at the stretch to end the second quarter. They, they take out Jamichael, who was playing very well for Trez, and they're up 11. Okay, it's back. It's down to eight, and they take out Pat for Landry at 225. Okay, fine, whatever. But then you just gave up. By the time you get to halftime, it went from an 11-point lead down to two. That was the game. That's the literal game because Jokic was in the game, and they let it happen. And the one thing that we have hammered in game five, in game six, and now 
was when Nikola Jokic is in the game, Montrez Harrell cannot be in the game. It's not Montrez Harrell's fault. He cannot stop Nikola Jokic and that offense. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. He can't do it. I don't blame the guy who can't do it. I blame the guy who put the guy who can't do it into the game at that point. And you can't do it. They got up to seven. They were up by seven early in the third. And oh my God, Jovan. Oh my God. My reaction when Reggie Jackson got dusted off the bench three minutes into the second half. At what point was that a logical thought that came across your mind? I, it's perplexed. Marcus Morris gets subbed out with six and a half to go in the third quarter. He did not return until I don't even like what the, the four or five minute mark of the fourth. Like, I don't know. He might have returned a little bit earlier. I don't remember. I just, it's one of those things. Yeah. He returned. Uh, he, re- yeah, he returned about the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter. I'm, I'm sorry for stopping my right. Um, it's, one of those things where you just wonder what the hell you were watching from the bench that you made any of these decisions. And I completely understand. I get it. They were three of 17 from three in the second half. You know, I get it. Like it's not normal to do that bad shooting threes. However, do you know what changed? The first quarter, and even the first half, they were driving to the rim. They were getting people on the move. At least their offense looked like an actual offense. What the hell changed in the second half to where guys just weren't doing that anymore? Hi, I'm Tass Mellis from No Dunks on the Athletic. As the great philosopher Brian of the Backstreet Boys once said, Everybody... Yeah, hydrate your body. Yeah, everybody, hydrate your body, right? Hydration's back, all right. We all know we have to stay hydrated. I've used an app, a big water bottle, post-it notes, and proper hydration is extremely important right now. It can really help your immune system. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. I like using Liquid IV when I hit that afternoon lull. Instead of grabbing a coffee, I grab one stick of the lemon lime, put it in my water, and I get the energy boost I need without dehydrating my body and getting dry mouth. It's win-win because it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. Oh, my mate Lily would love it. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks with no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Well, I felt there were stretches of Game 7 that 
in the first half, to be clear, that were really encouraging. And, and you know, I, yes. I had it in my notes, uh, the, the, the driving kicking, um, you know, generating open threes, generating drive, kick drive, um, you know, getting guys on the move, uh, you know, again, um, for as bad as as he was for really the rest of the game and, and defensively, Montrose Harrell and, and Lou Williams had that, you know, stretch of a few minutes there uh, where it looked like the old Clippers offense, you know, with the bench and, and those two running the two-man game and, and getting Trez on the move and um, some pistol action and different stuff. So, like, th- there were some encouraging moments. Um, and, and even defensively, you know, I, I thought they – the the doubling really hurt them like it 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 helped until it hurt you know like at, at first it was kind of throwing the nuggets off they weren't making shots um i i feel like you know obviously Jokic is a special passer and he would pick them apart occasionally but for the most part i was like okay you know this is kind of working They're, they are forcing the ball out of murray and Jokic's hands into the, the nuggets shooters and and at that time, they weren't making shots and, and some of those guys are inconsistent shooters and you're going to play the odds of well, if Jokic is shooting almost 50% from three, uh, I probably want someone else taking a three. Uh, but that being said, you know, in, in the second half, that all went away. The, the offense stagnated again. Everything was was short-legged, short-armed. Um, you know, it, it just became the same iso ball, the same hero ball. And defensively, all of the problems that happened in game five and game six in the second halves reared their heads again. And uh, the defensive communication, the rotations, the the – um, again, uh, you know, sometimes guys doubling, but guys not rotating over to the open man or, or you know, protecting the rim um, or, or one pass away. So just simple stuff that, you know, a, a team that finished top five defensively, uh, you know, should be able to do. And, you know, I, I really think, you know, kind of moving this conversation forward outside of this game more into the, the series and the context of the season, like, you know, Reading some of the, well, you know, I was, I was on the Zoom calls, and, and but I, I wasn't on for every player. So seeing some of the, the quotes that I missed, um, just how much they talked about talent over chemistry. And that was something we had talked about ad nauseum. We, we tweeted about it. We wrote about it. We talked about it on this podcast. But to see the players actually talk about it. And, and you know, this was something they'd kind of shied away from for most of the season. Um, you know, I had the chemistry. Sam Amick and I had the chemistry story back in January. Uh, where we wrote about some of these issues and, um, you know, to see, but to see guys like Lou Williams and, and Paul George talk about uh, even Kawhi Leonard, to, you know, talking about some of the chemistry issues that this team had, not necessarily in the locker room, they didn't get into that stuff, but on the court, not having the reps, not having the continuity, relying on talent, uh, that really cost them. And, and I, I think it, it kind of showed that in the regular season, you can get by with talent, you know, you, you can beat, um, you know, team X that, that's flying into LA on, on the second night of a back-to-back at home, or you can go in and, and beat uh, a team that can't really prep for you. But what, when teams can prep for you and, and they know what you're running or what you're not running and they know your weaknesses and you don't adjust, this is what happens. You get exploited. And, um, you know, really, if Denver had made some of these adjustments earlier uh, and some of the stuff they did in the second halves earlier – they could have won this series in five or six. So like, I mean, the Clippers almost got lucky in a sense, um, but I don't know. I, I mean, what's kind of your, your bigger picture takeaway of this season and of this core? If you really look at it, what's the difference between Milwaukee and the Clippers at this point? Like, like, like just really just look at it. 
Like, just really look at it. Elite of the elite of the elite player as your number one guy. Your number two guy is a... Go ahead. My only my only pushback would be, I think, for, for as awful as he was in game seven and, and as awful as he played in parts of the stretches of, of the second half of games five and six, I, I do think Kawhi... Uh, overall was better than Giannis. Oh, um, no, yeah, that, that, that's fine. And that, and that, but but the supporting cast stuff, you know, it, it was just kind of a lot of fool's gold. Well, think about it. So you got this elite of the elite guy, and his running mate is just a rung below him, which is fine. Like, that's totally fine. Everyone else around there, around them, I should say, needed to do better. And yes, those two put up duds in Game 7 and in Game 2, which I want to mention, that was a similar game to Game 7, if we're being honest. The Nuggets went on a run for a stretch, and the Clippers... The, the, the difference was that run was the first half, and this this run was the second half, so it's not as bad when it's in Game 2 in the first half. At least you have time to come back. There was no time for them. They had to deal with it as it happened. They couldn't deal with it. But you have those two, which is great. Outside of them, someone else needed to, like, to at least carry. Not carry. Carry is the wrong word. To at least show up. And for a while, Marcus Morris Sr. was that guy in the series. Patrick Beverly did his damnedest in Game 7. It wasn't enough because he's not really a scoring guard. You know, they needed something else. And the only guys who could have provided it really were Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, at least on their own. And they're such poor defenders that it doesn't matter because you're probably giving it back up on the other end regardless. Um, and that's the overarching takeaway from this series. And even from the postseason is you and I have talked about it several times throughout the season. This Clippers team had warts and you and I talked about what they were going to be and what they were. And everything we talked about really came to fruition it wasn't like this was some gigantic secret that just crept up at, out of nowhere. Like we saw it happening even in the first round series and it didn't change. Nothing was done to mitigate it. And at the end of the day, I don't know. Like I, I keep thinking too, like is, is it different if Landry doesn't sprain his ankle early and is really is unable to play after that? Like he hits a three after that, but I don't think he played really after that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that was my only thing with, I, I will say, and look, I've been as hard on Reggie as anyone. I, I called him the worst defender in the playoffs in, in the Dallas series. So uh, this is, you know, th- this is me kind of trying to be honest and fair here. Uh, I do think that, you know, while I don't, uh, I would maybe rather like to have seen like Rodney Magruder, who they activated for this game play maybe in those Reggie minutes, but with, you know, we don't really know fully what happened with Landry. That was never clarified post game. Um, so, you know, while he was eligible to return and did return, he obviously only played six minutes. And frankly, with the way Lou has been playing, not just this series but all postseason, like going to Reggie Jackson, who's no worse defensively. I mean, maybe marginally worse, but you can make that argument. Um, and has been a much better shooter in the playoffs, at least. Like, I guess, like, I mean that that's just Doc turning to his last resort. Uh, I mean, he, he did adjust by completely eliminating Reggie's role in, in minutes throughout the last few games. But um, I mean, that, that's the only, like, I, again, I'm not going to necessarily like sit here and defend that. I still think there maybe could have been other alternatives he, he turned to, but 
honestly, with the way Lou is playing, I, I you know it's hard to make the case he deserved to be out there. I mean, he he botched throughout this whole series in the playoffs, like how many layups, you know, I, I just went back and rewatched game six before game seven and there was three or four layups. Uh, he, I mean, even in this game, he, he missed a wide open layup. Uh, yeah. It was it, incredible. Like, and I keep coming back to the decisions that were made. Like that stretch at the end of the second quarter is bad as obviously, but like, dude, they were down six at the end, closing at the end of the third. And they brought in Reggie defensively. And Terrence, well, I mean, man. That, that was bad. That was bad, yes. Yeah, and Terrence, which, I mean, Terrence, they keep talking about how he's a defender, so I get that. But you really can't just leave Paul George out there and just trust him not to get, like, a fourth foul? Really? That, that's what we're doing? With your- I, would, I would just quickly to, to add on to what you just said. I, I, I was surprised. Again, I said the Zubats thing, but I was really surprised with how Doc handled Zoo and PG getting into foul trouble in the first half. Like, you know, I, I thought – Maybe if it's like a game one or two, that's your reaction. But for it to be a game seven, I just felt like he 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 immediately yanked both of them. And, you know, PG ended up playing 38 minutes. So I, I guess maybe he missed a couple minutes here or there. But, um, you know, really, at, we, I mean, we, we talked about this. We, you know, it was kind of going to be a, with your back against the wall, what, what does Doc lean on? What does he trust? What, what is he going to do? And at the end of the day, you know, Abitza Zubats played 14 minutes, only had three fouls, so it's not like he got a fourth or fifth later on. Montrose Harrell played 26 minutes. And the Clippers had a better plus-minus with Trez, technically, by, by two points. But, um, you know, it's clear Zubats outplayed him throughout the series. And, you know, we, again, we've talked about this so many times, but it just, to me, was telling that in the most important game in the Clippers season, uh, it, you know, the, the, the old roles emerged and it was very clearly Zoo's a placeholder and we're going with Trez. I mean, they did go with Jermichael a lot. Jermichael played 24 minutes and they did play a lot of small I thought Jermichael looked good, by the way. I mean, Jermichael was their best bench player in the, in the postseason. And I think that this is a good way um, to, to segue into the future. Uh, I think Doc Rivers' job is safe. I, I know a yes. lot of fans are, are calling for his head. Um, I, I will say I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I, I do think that uh, if you're doing a pie chart of who to blame, I, I think Doc, Lou, and Trez are, are kind of neck and neck for a neck for for the, the top three parts of that pie chart. Uh, you know, Kawhi and PG deserve some blame. I, I think the, the front office might deserve some blame for not really patching some of the holes on this roster together. Specifically, another ball handler and, and a true defensive big. Uh, with, with size that, you know, I mean, really Zoo was the only guy above 6'9 on this roster. Um, and, and again, you know, Montrez to me looks much more like a regular season player than a playoff player. But, um, you know, I mean, again, we could go down Marcus Morris. The different guys can, can get certain parts of the blame. But to me, it's it's, it's Doc, Lou, and Trez. I think Doc is safe. Um, you know, he's one of the most decorated coaches of all time. Uh, you know, what he's meant to this Clippers franchise through the Donald Sterling situation, um, just just being a, a spokesman on social justice issues, race issues, um, you know, he really has been the face and the voice of the Clippers throughout the, these last seven years. You know, more so almost than Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Kawhi Leonard. Like, I mean, those guys are the stars, but Doc has been the one constant, and I think he's safe. Uh, I, you know, I, I do think maybe 
if we're having this conversation next season and the Clippers flame out again, maybe he's on the hot seat at that point and maybe he does get fired, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. But my two things that you and I have discussed that I, I do think seem likely to happen, um, in my opinion, and this is just pure speculation, not reporting or anything, uh, I do think Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams will not be back next season. Uh, I think the Clippers are going to either let Trez walk or, or sign and trade him. And I would not be surprised if Lou is, is traded. And to be honest, I, I think someone has to say it like the, the, the uh, strip club situation looks a lot worse now, um, you know, especially with Doc saying that he felt the, some of the guys who missed time in the bubble and specifically mentioned Lou, Pat and Trez, uh, you know, were, were really affected by that. And, you know, Trez, all three had, had debts with, with loved ones and, and had legitimate excuses to leave the bubble and, and, you know, uh, we don't know how that affected them, but Lou's strip club stunt, I think looks a lot worse right now. And, um, you know, may, maybe that's reactionary, but I do think that's going to be something the team considers this summer and, uh, or this off season. And, um, I would, I, you know, I think those two guys with their performances, um, and just w- with their defensive, you know, um, liability, you know, just the way they were the defensive liabilities throughout the, the playoffs and even last playoffs, honestly, um, I, I think they will not be back. I mean, yeah, I just, um, I just, I just think Harold's gone. Um, I think Lou is going to get traded. Um, with Marcus, I think Marcus will be back. I'm with you. Um, I think they like him and he helped them. He was very good for them. Uh, um, yeah, I, that was a good trade. I, I, I stand by that. Right. I do too. I think they're going to try their best to keep Jermichael. I think they like him a lot. Um, And if they keep Jermichael and Trez is gone, at least that's more minutes for Jermichael, who I would say is better. Um, sure. You know, like the Kawhi Leonard quote after this game where he's, you know, uh, quote, that's when it comes to the team chemistry, knowing what we should what we should run to get the ball in spots or just if someone's getting doubled or they're packing the paint, get smarter as a team basketball IQ got to get better. I'm not saying he's pointing fingers at certain people. I'm not going to say who I think he's pointing at, but I don't think he's wrong. How many times in the second half of these games do we see it happen? And to be fair, I also think he's talking about himself because I think he got a little bit too, I mentioned it in the first half. Even with some of the shots he was hitting, I was like, I, I don't like his shot decisions. It didn't look like he was getting to actual spots. You know what I mean? So I think things will change for next year in terms of roster construction. Some guys will be gone. Some guys will be brought in. I don't know who will be brought in. I'm, I'm not going to try to prognosticate that. Yeah. Um, I just know... The guys who didn't show up know who they are for the duration of the bubble and they got to get better or else this is all that's ever going to happen because next year in the Western Conference ain't looking any easier. In fact, it's looking a little bit harder. So they better nut up or shut up at this point. So my, my and you and I have texted about this, so I think we're in agreement here, but my offseason um, – kind of checklist is like, of course you, you see what's out there trade wise, you know, you, you 
look to improve around the margins where possible. And, um, you know, if you could get a third star, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, that would probably have to be after the draft when they could trade another future first. But, um, and I don't really know what they would give up. You know, if maybe someone is really high on Trez, maybe someone is really high on Lou as like a missing bench piece. Uh, you know, maybe, I mean, I don't know, but I think you make those calls, you, you see what's out there. Uh, but realistically, I, I think the starting lineup was really good. Uh, you know, it was one of the five best lineups in the NBA this season. When you're looking at the numbers across the regular season and, and, you know, in the postseason, although obviously towards the end of this series, they, they didn't play as well. Um, but I think at full strength, at full health under normal circumstances, that is one of the best lineups in the league. And I, I would keep that starting lineup. Uh, and beyond that, I, I would say I, I want, I, I would keep Jermichael, I would keep Landry, and, and then everybody else is, you know, uh, on on the table. Uh, again, I don't think they're going to re-sign Montrez Harrell. I, I think they need a different backup center. Uh, I think they need uh, someone that is in that 6'10 to 7 foot range, someone who's athletic, mobile, uh, more defensive minded, a better rebounder. It doesn't have to be a score. You don't need to replace him with an 18 point score off the bench because you're probably not going to find one. But, um, you know, I, I think there are some guys out there like I'm not saying this guy in particular, but someone like a Nerlens Noel, I, I think would, would fit really well with their bench. Um, and that's kind of the archetype of a player. Uh, and I think they need an actual legit backup point guard. Um, someone who, if they do end up keeping Lou can kind of run the show in actuality more so than, than like say Reggie did or Landry did. Um, and you know, someone who's not a defensive liability and, and a you know respectable spot up shooter. And then I think they need another three and D wing. I think that was one thing this team was missing was, you looked at the starting lineup and, and how much defense they had, how much size they had, how much versatility and flexibility they had, but they didn't really have that on the bench. You know, they, they had a six foot seven backup center, a six foot eight backup four, um, and, and then they often played a three guard lineup. Uh, you know, with, with one guy playing. You know, and really Landry six four six five, so you know it, it's tough to play him at that three spot. Reggie and Lou were, were not good defensively, so. It's easy to say these things in retrospect, but these were things we talked about consistently during the season, things we were concerned with, and they ended up biting the team, you know? And again, maybe Kawhi and PG are, are, are more rested and have a better game seven, and we're previewing the Lakers series right now, but that wasn't the case. And, and you know, you got to tip your hat to Denver. Nikola Jokic was the best player in the series, and frankly, you can make the case Jamal Murray was the second best. I would probably go Kawhi, but... At worst, Jamal was the third best. And, you know, the fact that the Nuggets had two of the three best and and really the two best for large stretches of the series, um, you know, that's not something anyone would have predicted going to the series or at the start of this bubble or the start of the season. So, you know, I, I guess the Clippers, they're close, right? Like, you know, they, they should have won the series, um, but shoulda, woulda, coulda has been the story of this franchise. And, um, you know, Next season, I think they're going to have to improve around the margins, revamp the bench, get more defensive-minded, more athletic, more versatile. And, uh, you know, I think if you do that, you're right back here, and maybe we're, we're talking about the conference finals next season. They just have a lot of decisions ahead of them. Like any team that gets eliminated or, you know, goes home early, even in the teams that don't make the postseason, like they have a lot of decisions to make. 
And I do not envy that front office for having to make them, but some of them are going to have to be made. And if they want to not only win the first title in franchise history, but actually get to the conference finals for the first time in now what will be 51 years next season, they need to make these decisions because guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George don't choose to be on your team all the time. So the clock is ticking. They're going to be free agents after next season. You better get to work or else you're going to look back at this time and be, and just like every other Clippers season before, just go, what could have happened if only so. And and not to end on an even more negative note, but that's what I'm going to do. Keep it on brand. Um, one thing I, I don't think either of us properly said, but I, I know we're both thinking it. Um, this is one of the worst playoff collapses, not only in NBA history, probably in sports history. Um, when you think about the offseason that they had in 2019, landing Kawhi and PG, you think about the expectations of being the Vegas favorites, entering the season, being the Vegas favorites, really for a lot of the season, despite not always you know, trying their hardest, not always having the best record, you know, being behind the Lakers and Bucks in the standings. Think about being the favorites heading into this second part of the season in the bubble. Um, and again, in the postseason in the bubble. Uh, and then to have a 3-1 series lead um, and, and have, you know, double digit leads in the second halves of games five and six. And, and then to even have a lead in the second half of, of game seven um, to, to blow that and lose that. Uh, this is so much worse than 2015. It's, it's not even comparable. At no point did, were the Clippers the odds-on favorite like this. At no point did were people saying they had the best player in the league, you know, the, the way they were. Um, so to me, like, I, I, mean, I don't want to end it on this note, but it is like this is, the, the, to me, the worst on-court moment in franchise history, Donald Sterling off the court, of course, will, will always be probably the worst moment in this franchise's history. But on the court, I think this takes the cake for, you know, anytime you mention the Clippers curse, anytime you mention uh, the, the disappointments in, in Clippers franchise history, to me, this now is number one, uh, you know, and, and I don't I don't even know what's contending with that anymore. I mean, I guess it would have probably been 2015 Houston, but. Uh, this to me is, is number one. It's not close. And again, I think this is not only one of the biggest collapses in NBA history, but in sports history, given the context of the expectations, the hype, how much they, they put into this season and having the 3-1 lead. Again, it wasn't like this was just a normal seven game series where they traded games. This wasn't, you know, to have the 3-1 lead, to have the big second half leads and to blow it in this fashion. Uh, it's just uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just really disappointing. It's You're not wrong. It's the worst collapse in NBA history, possibly sports history. I don't know. I, I still uh, remember uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans in a postseason game in the NFL. I remember that watching that live. So, uh, I mean, the, the Falcons against the Patriots. Like, these are up there. No, even the one thing though in football is at least you you know football is one game. Yeah, so you look at that, but you know they they have three chances to put them away. I mean, well, you know what's funny is uh, oh god, who was it? It was an NHL team. Uh, they not only did they blow a three-one lead, they blew like a three-nothing. Oh yeah, uh, the Kings and the Sharks. Uh, the Kings over overcame a three-zero deficit and won. And then like 
a couple years, I think the Flyers, the Flyers and the Bruins, something like that in like 2010 was something similar where like the, the Bruins blew a 3-0 series lead. And not only did they blow a 3-0 series lead, if I remember correctly, and I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, I think they even blew a 3-0 lead in game one or in game seven as well. So like these are up there. Like it's up there. Like this is it's bad. It's very, very bad. Um, but look, sometimes you have to go down to come back up, and I don't know. The Clippers spent a lot of time down. Maybe, maybe their come up is going to be real good. I don't know, but it's not the season that they wanted to uh, like how it to end. That was really bad grammar that I just had. I apologize. <laughs> um, I, I've been incoherent during this pod when I was talking about Lou and Treads, uh, but you know, look. Yeah. look. What more do you want me to say? Like, seriously, like, at this point, I'm just you like, I need people to understand. Like, this is what I'm going to end on. I need people to understand something. I did not go into game seven expecting this team to win. Not because I didn't believe that this incarnation of the team or this iteration of the team could win. I just didn't believe in the Clippers being able to do it. Like, if it was if it was somebody else, I could believe it, but not the Clippers. And at the end of the day, the Clippers were the Clippers. And... That's also what makes you love them so much. Like with everything that has happened in this year, with the craziness that 2020 has been, the Los Angeles Clippers doing what you expect the Los Angeles Clippers to do is the most normal thing that we have had all year. And it's been nine and a half months. And I'll I'll end with this. I think... You just said it beautifully. And the one thing I'll add to that is the fact that this is such a big disappointment. Um, while, you know, I, I know fans don't want to hear that. I know fans are upset right now that they're broken. They're, they're, you know, shook. They're, they're upset. They're pissed off as Lou Williams said. Um, you know, I, I think the silver lining here is that, you know, imagine uh, 10 years ago, you being told, hey, you know, one day the Clippers are going to blow uh, a 3-1 lead as the favorites in the NBA and, and have the best player in the world or arguably the best player in the world. Like, I think you and, and many fans would have taken that given where this franchise was, franchise was at the beginning of the decade and, and how they've progressively, um, you know, gotten better. And again, this is the same result as the Vinny Del Negro Clippers, the same result as the Lob City Clippers, uh, you know, didn't get out of the second round. But I do think... The narrative with the team, the, the, the way they're respected um, as far as the front office and, and Steve Ballmer and, um, you know, Kawhi, I mean, there's people piling on Kawhi right now, but Kawhi, you know, I, I, I think his legacy is fine. I mean, this is going to be a blemish on it, but he's still a two-time champion, still a two-time finals MVP, uh, still to me one of the 30 best players, probably 25 best players ever. Um, so, you know, I, I think in, in a way, while the pain is still pain, I think it's it, it, it's it's progress. It, it's getting better. Um, I think again, you, you know, you'd rather this than them just be a thirty-win lottery team uh, that that you're hoping to one day con- contend. Like they were a contender this year. You know, what, they didn't make that level, but top five offense, top five defense, top five record. Um, you know, we're, we're in a great position to make the conference finals. That didn't end up happening, but this was to me the most successful season overall in franchise history, even if the end result didn't reflect that. Yeah. Um, 
It's a real crappy thing to have to admit, but yeah, it was the best season they've had. I would say it was even better than the one where they lost to Houston, the one where they lost to OKC, or even the one where they lost, you know, almost 15 years ago to Phoenix. Like it was their best season. And at the end of the day, that's cool. And I would urge people while you probably feel completely just the wind is out of your sails at this point. At least remember, like the season was fun. Like there were fun moments. It just ended really crappy. At the end of the day, it ends really crappy for 29 teams. Yours just ended earlier than you wanted it to. And now you got to just live with it and just move on. All right, man. Well, we've we've poured our our hearts and souls into this one. Um, and this is, we'll I, almost, I almost made a joke right now when you said hearts and souls, I almost made like a, I'm not going to say it, but you, you know where I was going to go with it. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll leave that one there. Um, but wh- where can people find you on social media? Where can they read your work, listen to your work? Uh, you can find me at fly by night, F L Y B Y K N I T E. You can find me on patreon.com slash fly by night with the Clippers now eliminated. My plan is to, I was doing recap video breakdowns of every game in the, uh, for them in the bubble. Uh, my plan is to do one of, if not every playoff game from here on out, it'll be of probably just the Western conference finals. Cause obviously the Clippers just played the nuggets and we've seen the Lakers all year. So I'd probably do that, but yeah. All right. Well, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you've not subscribed to this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on the Athletic app. If you've not subscribed to the Athletic, you can do so by going to theathletic.com slash Google, subscribing there, or you can subscribe off on my articles. Uh, be sure to check us out. We currently have a promotion of a dollar a month subscription. So if you click any of my Twitter links, Uh, to any of my stories you you can subscribe to that thank you guys as always for listening i appreciate the support all season Uh, this is not the end i will be back potentially in a few days uh, to to talk more about this epic collapse but uh, enjoy enjoy the rest of the night or whenever you're listening to this Uh, have a cold one on me and things will get better i hope and, and promise kind of (laughs) Ha <laughs>